Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. This is Bart Carroll making the introductions, along with Shelley Mazenoble, Trevor Kidd, and from the Wizards Play Network, Jordan Comer. In today's episode, we'll speak with R&D's Mike Merles, taking a look at the current state of the game. We'll also speak with Paul Barrington, who manages the Conspiracy Comics stores in the Ontario area. Paul will talk to us about his partnership with a local school, which runs D&D games for its students. Mike Merles. Mike Merles. Hello. So we're just going to roll right into it. My introduction for Mike Merles says, intro, Mike Merles. <laughs> <laughs> the it's, man who needs no introduction. I know. It's like, I, don't, I don't know these, who these people out here, know, if they know who Mike is. I don't know if we've talked to him enough. Uh... Actually, Mike, why don't you tell everybody out in podcast land what you do here at Wizards? Okay, so for those who are new to D&D or haven't heard <laughs> my, my voice before, I am the senior manager for the Dungeons & Dragons R&D team. So we oversee the creation of storylines and of D&D products that Wizards produces. We also work with uh, our licensing partners when they're doing a D&D game to guide them on implementing the Forgotten Realms or whatever D&D setting they're using and keeping it true to the source material. So we thought it would be a good time to get you on the podcast. We recently released the errata document for the Player's Handbook on the website. Uh, Why don't we talk a little bit about what the errata is meant to cover, uh, sort of the process that went into it, and what might be happening down the road with potential future erratas, if there are any. Yeah, so with errata for 5th edition, uh, we're taking a path that's a little bit different from the past, um, but for us is has a very clear delineation between what's errata and what's a revision to the game. So errata, if you've seen the document, we're really focusing on clearing up questions about the rules, where a rule is phrased in a way that might not convey its actual meaning, or what we see is we thought the wording worked, but we see people using the rule incorrectly. And specifically, if a rule is being used incorrectly, it is making the game slower, less fun, or it's just an irritating thing. Now, what I want to be clear about what errata isn't is things like redesigning a character class. We don't see that as errata because to us errata is correcting something that is incorrect. So for instance, um, if the modifier on a spell was wrong, the number should be five and it's two. To us that's errata, but the important thing there is should. It if the, sp- if the number was supposed to be two and it's two, but two is too weak, we really wouldn't use a rata to fix that because to us that's redesign. So that's an important thing to think of going forward. So for instance, we know um, for the ranger character class, there's been a lot of feedback. This is going to be my question. Yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so for us, the ranger, it's not feedback because the ranger's working as intended, but the intent might not actually be producing result that people like. So for us, that is new design. Whenever we're taking something and changing its concept or changing its content, that that's a new design and that's something that's just a completely separate process. So errata is really your turn. If you're looking at a rule and you're not sure how it works or you might run it one way and another DM runs it another way and you're not sure what's the official quote-unquote way, that's where errata can come in um, as opposed to new design. So that's really where we are. Uh, we've covered the player's handbook and we're also now next to be looking at the Monster Manual and Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, this is a bit of a pat on the back statement, <laughs> but as somebody that updates the online rules with the errata as well, I was pleased to see it was a very limited document in terms of 
how many pieces of rules were actually hit with errata. It was a, a one-page sheet, and it was pretty quick to go through the updates. Yeah, it runs like an index. Like, I was in oh, one page, okay, it might have, you know, two columns of text, and I open it up, it's like, no, it's like this page, this thing, and like the next bullet, this page, this thing, and it was all like six, seven words for each entry. I'm like, oh, that was very easy. Yeah, now usually it was just clarifying a phrase and, and, and or just, you know, making sure, tweaking the language that the intent's there. And I think it really comes down to, first, we have a great team of editors, Jeremy Crawford and everyone else who works in the game, doing a really great job of shepherding that language. And also with the playtest process being very open, um, the core rules of 5th edition have probably been read by hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, right? Far more, I'd say, at this stage in the edition's lifespan than we've had in the past because people have walked through each playtest iteration, given us feedback. We've seen the areas that are issues. We caught a lot of this stuff before we published the game, and so now it feels really what we're doing is refining things. So that's, I think, why we're in a really good position where there haven't been these really massive wholesale changes to the game. Am I wrong? Are we coming up on a one-year anniversary? I think we for are. Yeah, we are. Yeah, the first rulebook. The I think July. The starter. Yeah, it would have the been starter the starter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, how nervous were we all last oh year at this time? Oh man, it was it was awesome watching Mike and Jeremy and these guys like turn over stuff because we're like months ahead before we have to send it to print. But like they're like, uh, tomorrow we're gonna turn that over tomorrow, yeah. and that's literally because they were trying to get as much as they could. When we got to the when we got to the the DMG and the monster manual, you guys were trying to get as much as you possibly could. So we were like down to the wire of like, and this one. So I like that. And it was funny because I very vividly remember the day that the basic rules went up because I had to take my very fluffy dog to be groomed. Yeah. And so I had to take the day off. Is that what you I do when you're up. nervous? Yeah. You take your dog to look at groomed? <laughs> no, it's, it's just the way it, it worked out. Like really? the grooming schedule. Yeah. No, this is Daisy, our oh, Sheltie. Daisy. So, yeah, she has a very thick coat, and so in the summertime, we try to get her a haircut so she's not so stiflingly hot. So, yeah, it's just very funny, and I, I was on my smartphone, my iPhone, checking Twitter and online, seeing the reactions come in. I picture you doing the grooming, and on that day, just shearing her down to, like, the <laughs> skin, just out of sheer nervousness. Everybody was very happy. There was lots of complimentary stuff that, that day. Yeah, the, do the dog was not happy, though. She hates getting groomed. So. So, probably happy afterwards. Yeah. For future errata, we are looking potentially or uh, definitively at the Monster Manual yeah. and Dungeon Master's Guide coming down the road. Yeah, exactly. And there's things there you'll see. Um, so, for instance, we already know one thing. It looks like we're going to change um, monsters right now. I think it, it says specifically they, they they take half damage. Certain monsters, not all of them, obviously. Uh, they take half damage from non-magical weapons. And that's something where, like, no, that's not really what we intended. We intended if a creature was essentially resistant to natural damage. If it fell, it would only take half damage, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and that kind of thing there. So again, that's something where it's a change, but the intent was never like, the difference between a sling stone and a falling rock actually has any difference in its damage to a creature. Mm -hmm. So that's just a wording thing that got through. So that's the kind of scope of things you'll see. Um, I'm not sure what else is we're looking at. I think probably for the monster, it'll, it'll mostly be individual monster abilities that just aren't clear. The Beholder will now have 12. I want to jump back to, to well, well, we can use the Ranger Beastmaster as an example. But So we said that, that that's not errata. That, that's new design, that's right? Correct, yeah. So let, let's say you guys do look at the Beastmaster and you decide that there's something wrong with it. Uh, what would we do? So actually, that's, that's a great question because what we're looking at right now is um, the Rangers are a really interesting class. So I'm going to now 
give a little lecture on the Ranger. Because <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you get to do Actually, you know, when you work we, on d We were D&D. just talking about Make Rangers. sure to channel your whole team so Jeremy yeah. doesn't come up here and yeah, tell me you did something wrong. There's a bunch of students <laughs> in Ontario, Canada that are playing Rangers. Okay. They, this might be of interest to well, those kids. That's the first thing is when we do our surveys and we get feedback, the first thing we're seeing is people are generally happy with the Ranger. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're happy with the Ranger or that there's enough people who have issues. So the Ranger is a really interesting character class because I think since AD&D, first and second edition, it really hasn't had an identity. If you remember in first edition, it had this really weird mix of abilities. It was basically um, a certain unnamed ranger from a certain uh, unnamed yes. trilogy of books. <laughs> well, he wasn't unnamed, yeah. but in this podcast, he shall remain nameless. So the ranger had tracking and wizard spells and cleric spells and druid spells. It was just, it was just stuff. And then second edition came along, and actually one of the things I really liked about second edition was how the ranger was refined to be, oh, you wear light armor, but you're kind of sneaky like a thief. You get to wield two weapons, which is, was very distinct back in 1989. No one else really could do that without huge penalties. Mm-hmm. And then third edition came along and systematically took everything the ranger had that was unique and gave it to other people. So now, <laughs> you know, anyone can track, anyone can sneak, anyone can use two weapons. And so I think the ranger was left with a, without an identity. And I think Fifth um, has done something similar where when you think of building a character in Fifth, you could play a fighter who's focused on ranged weapons, who then takes a background that gives a lot of outdoorsy skills and essentially have a ranger. So I think what we're going to do is get a little experimental and weird oh. and in an upcoming Unearthed Arcana, not, not one in the near future because we have a lot of stuff to do. But I think we're going to try reconcepting the ranger from the ground up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Like really take the class back to its roots, like strip everything down to the studs and rebuild and, you know, release a couple levels of it and just see what people think. Yeah. Because I think that is, it's definitely a class that's been pulled, a lot of its unique stuff has been pulled out. And when we're designing fifth, every other class had something that was very unique and that really stood out. You think of paladins, they have lay on hands, no one else gets that. They have their auras, you know, it's something that's, that's been made more unique as, you know, as time has passed. And I think the other classes, monks obviously have their unarmed strikes, you know, et cetera. Every class has something they can really call their own. And with a fighter, we gave the fighter some of those mechanics. You know, the second wind, um, the bonus action, you know, getting an extra action, things like that, which is, you know, now that's the fighter's thing. And if we've done our job in five, ten years, people think, oh, that's what fighters do. They get extra actions. They can heal themselves. But the ranger doesn't really have, and ranger has some unique spells, but doesn't have that thing that is like the ranger's thing. When you think ranger, you think, oh, this is the one unique thing. Mm-hmm. So that's something which I think would be kind of interesting, like task, you know, challenge to see what how, could you build a new ranger. So, so that's that's mm-hmm. down the line. Yeah. 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 As yeah, you say that, are the ideas already in the works in your head? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. I mean, as a designer, you're always thinking like, what's always the next thing? Around. Yeah, you're always in your head fixing around things and messing around with stuff. The um, we've had a couple different conversations about potential stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if we actually, depending on how ambitious we're feeling that month, if we like showed like three different rangers. Oh. You know, each with a very distinct, unique thing. So you're talking like like ranger all up, not new subclasses, but a new character class. Completely rebuild. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. So this wouldn't like invalidate the current ranger or anything. It'd just no, be like yeah. This would be unearthed arcana. This is us just messing around and seeing what sticks. So. so for listeners, just to clarify a bit, we've talked about errata as sort of a correction to the rules as written or a, a clarification. clarification to the rules as written when needed and a redesign would be something outside of that that uh, process as well. Now, Unearthed Arcana is the online column that we use to 
present sort of rules options or experiments. Yep. Wacky, crazy stuff. <laughs> it varies from, uh, I think a couple months ago, we did um, a, like a new sorcerer type, the storm sorcerer, mm-hmm. the swashbuckler for the rogue, uh, the mariner combat option for like, like a fighter, a ranger, and paladin could take it, to the more daring, like what's coming up in July, oh, which, which may or may not be out depending on when you receive Funny this podcast. because there's like 60 Twitter questions all wanting to know when are we going to see anything on Psychotics. So if anyone ever told you we were never going to add a new character class to 5th edition, they're a filthy liar. Was that you? Did you say <laughs> that? I don't think I did. I don't know I don't how th- I tried I don't that. I so. We talked about the base core classes, then we talked about more, and then we were like yeah. sketchy, <laughs> I think. The, so um, the Unearthed Arcana for July is going to debut a new character class, um, the Mystic. Ooh. And the Mystic uses psionics. Yay! And so, the yeah, like Trevor said, uh, the, you may or may not have the class already. We're not sure what... None of us are psionics. We can't see yes, in the future. Yes, I can't actually see the future. <laughs> and figure out when this podcast is At least out. until next month. Yeah. So the... Um, but yeah, so the Mystic was really fun to work on because it's kind of... It, it is... It's not taking Sonex and redefining it. It's really just trying to refine it. And one of the design goals we had was to say, well, I had, because I just did it, because I decided I wanted to. It's one of the nice things about <laughs> being in my position and using it. So if, if you guys don't like it, it's all it's actually Mike's fault. fault. It's all my fault. But you guys do give me feedback on Twitter. Which I was reading. <laughs> yeah, they're not shy. But, you know all those times you actually you say that it's Mike's fault? Well, this time it's yeah. true. But, but this is the kind of thing where, you know, Unearthed Arcane is built for this, where we can just try. It's only five levels. It's not the full class, and it's got limited options. But it's just to, just to test, you know, what. What do people think of this? You know, so for the folks asking about it specifically, I, clearly they're they're invested or they're interested, and they certainly know about it. If you're coming to the game relatively fresher, what? How would you define psionics? I know so, I'm taking a step back, but I've got a follow no, up yeah. to this. In the yeah. new world order, how would you yeah. define psionics? <laughs> so psionics is the power of the mind. So what psionics lets you do is it is a power source that comes from within and derives from essentially the opening of the mind's eye. That you, when you have Dungeons and Dragons, you have the cosmology of the planes. And one of the ideas this kind of puts out there is that a, a world like Faerun or Orth from, from Greyhawk, mm-hmm. these are kind of like the standard worlds. Like if the universe was just motoring along with its laws, that's the kind of world that would burp out. But sometimes you get a world that's a little bit different. The cosmic moorings are a little bit unhinged. And that's indirectly due to the influence of the Far Realm. The Far Realm was this very alien world, another cosmology entirely, perhaps. And what's happened is these two cosmologies have bumped into each other that sometimes kind of twists reality a little bit. And what happens is, if you're psionic, your inner eye has been opened, and you see the underlying structure of the reality in a way that other people don't. And by drawing on your willpower and your own mental energies, you can exert changes to the structure of reality around you. Or you can perceive things like you can see the future because you understand how things come together and you can see something happening before it happens. Or you can understand your body, you, know, you can manipulate your muscles you know, for a sudden surge of strength that would not normally be physically possible because of this energy that's coming within you. And so we're really kind of going this idea that psionics and magic are separate. They're mm-hmm. two different forces. And so you couldn't, let's say if I was a mystic, and I used a sonic ability to say, increase my speed, you couldn't use dispel magic on that because it's not magical. It's psionics. Now, part of that means, whenever possible, sonics don't duplicate spells. 
So in this sort of approach, like I wouldn't expect a Psyonix Fireball, for instance, because Psyonix <laughs> is a little more subtle. It's more changing yourself, altering others, sort of seeing the fabric of reality. And so it's a little bit toned down. It's not meant to be just something which wholesale replaces the magic system by duplicating it. Mm-hmm. It's more you could think, be it a, a, a Psyonix-only campaign. It'd be a world where magic is more subtle. People aren't like creating walls of fire and stuff like that. They're more, it's almost like the Force from Star Wars, you know, things like that. They're subtly influencing others. If they take control of someone's mind, that's a shorter, more focused burst of power. You might make someone do one thing rather than just making them a puppet, unless you're very powerful, yeah. you know, things like that. And so that's really the inspiration for it, to make it feel distinct mm-hmm. and also allowing it to rest alongside magic. So you could replace magic with Sanix if you wanted to, or you could have them both operating at the same time. And in both cases, they have a distinct flavor, a distinct feel. I remember it from the back of the first edition player's handbook, and it was always sort of this optional appendix system. I, I said I had a follow-up question. I guess it's, it's really more of a, a statement that I just throw out there. <laughs> but it, it, it felt like one of those areas where Dungeons & Dragons was experimenting with a little sci-fi in its, its fantasy. Is that sort of an approach you took with it, or it sounds also just a bit more not sci-fi so much as as, as an alternate way to present magical effects in a fantasy setting? So the approach that I took was, so the sci-fi angle always bothered me a little bit mm-hmm. because I don't see how the people in, the, in a Dungeons & Dragons world would know to invent terms like psychokinesis to describe psionics, <laughs> right? They would use that to describe magic, right? Like, is that's so that those terms always bothered me. So those have kind of gone away. But now that said, I love terms like intellect fortress, you know, you know, yeah. stuff like that, ego whip, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you could imagine someone might figure out a name, you know, as they figure out the parts of the psyche, whatever, and ego might come up. The um, so getting away from the scientific stuff, but focusing on more on terms that like you could picture someone like Elminster using or Mordenkainen, you know, if they're describing this thing or mm-hmm. trying to catalog it, that this is how they might describe it, this is how they might think of it, rather than this entire, like, very modern, like, you know, 20th century and later terminology coming in. That always really clanged with me. It just it felt like it really clashed with the flavor of D&D. It really made it stood out. Jungian's punch. <laughs> 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 yeah, it probably, probably didn't work very well. Yeah. I, the other thing that I remember about the original Psionics, and I don't know if this was just a young player, but I don't think so, was that the, the mechanics of it were just incomprehensible to, they, to figure out. They were, they, were a, they were a challenge for advanced players. <laughs> <laughs> incomprehensible. It's a word we don't use. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not we're, we're not aiming for like confusing rules as a, as a general thing. No. The, um, but yeah, so, the, so it, it uses PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind it is if you're a mystic, the, you have access to a few different disciplines um, based on your order. So you join, you join a Sanic order. Like, the idea is each order focuses on one type of psionics. And, again, trying to give them more flavorful names rather than just using names that sound like they're out of a scientific textbook. So the psychic warrior path is the order of the immortal. And the idea is that immortals seek to achieve perfect mastery over their bodies. where And they get abilities, class features that make them very hard to kill. And you're only seeing levels 1 to 5 to start with. There's no point in doing up level 20 because if you hate how it works, and you can figure that out pretty quickly. <laughs> But the idea being that these are more the people like you can think, okay, they can walk across open flames and not get hurt. They live literally live forever, right, unless something physically kills them, which is hard. Like they have perfect mastery of their bodies. Mm-hmm. 
the, and that translates obviously and then into combat skill. They can sudden surges of strength and speed, and so they are more that psychic warrior type. And then the other order we're presenting is the order of the awakened, and that's someone whose mind has literally been awakened to the possibilities of psionics. It allows them to read minds, use telepathy, um, seize control control of other minds, deceive other minds, and also peer into the fabric of reality. It's like you know, see the past and the and the uh, the um, the future. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of understanding the psionic imprints that are around them of objects. So the idea being sort of the, the classic telepath. You know, the person who can read minds and that stuff. So that's the order of the awakened. Um, those are people whose minds been awakened, and they can now see into other people's minds. You know, the um, you get most pictures like Neo from the Matrix. They just they see reality on a different level. That's a, that's a different kind of thing. It's like I see the video game world that I'm in. Oh, I don't know. We have that. In there. <laughs> I, I want to bend this spoon. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> they actually have access to the rule books. They know like, oh, here's the XP table and stuff. That's there. So, um, we talked a little bit earlier about making sure that everything was it was unique. Some of the things you're describing sound a little bit like the monk. Not a whole lot, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all about focused body and focused mind. Did do you think the mystic took the the monks lunch a little bit, or did you guys <laughs> o- open it up into a different area? Do you, you feel like no? Because the idea is that the um, really the mystics don't deal so much with the, with like unarmed combat and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, mystics will wear armor, like, you know, leather or scale. Um, so they're tool users. The um, and kind of yeah, moving away from some of the you know, prior editions, you have fat psionics that let you you know punch harder or yeah. you know. So it it does in some ways, but I think the important thing going back to the ranger discussion, mm-hmm. really see the monk as being the unarmed martial arts expert, you know, and so staying away from that more finesse maneuvers monks can use and obviously the monk weapons and and unarmed abilities um, with the mystic focusing more on augmenting weapons, things like that. So it's subtle, but I think that the totality of the mechanics really casts a different feel. And that's also why we looked at the immortal, because the immortal would be the closest uh, comparison to the monk, really focusing on that survivability. Um, like I think, I think it's at third level. Um, if you're an immortal, you actually can uh, regenerate because nice. you know, you're constantly healing yourself mm-hmm. and sort of maintaining your body. You know, in a way that you know usually your subconscious mind does it, but you're more consciously doing it. So those kind of big mechanics that just like really at the table and in the story of D and D. If you're writing a novel or a comic, you know the immortal might take this massive wound and like Wolverine just immediately starts healing. Yeah. That's not really necessarily something that monks like monks can heal themselves in bursts but not this constant healing that the immortal has. So I got one more question, then we'll go back to everybody else. I I play a lot of psionics in third edition, so that's why (laughs) I mess with this stuff. So we have the mystic. Do you think that opens the door for more psionic classes, or do you think that this one covers all the stuff that we've done before? I shouldn't have said, oh, yeah. Yeah. So the the goal with the mystic is to contain all the psionics uh, types we've done in the past. We had soul knife, we had psychic warrior, we had just the normal psionicist, Mm. and then that was the third edition grouping, right? Yeah. And then there was, that's, I don't really remember before that because I didn't get into it until third edition. Yeah, and there was the, um, uh, there was the leader type from fourth edition whose name I'm totally blanking The mastermind on. kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So the orders are meant to replicate those classes. Okay. The idea is each order has a, its own list of disciplines. You make that choice at first level. So what that lets us do is we take one character class, which is just like a D8 hit die class with like moderate access to weapons and armor. Um, and then the you can imagine like essentially your your list of disciplines, your spells, you know, in magic terms, are determined by your order. So each order has a very different feel because the Order of the Awakened has all the ESP stuff. 
if you're uh, in the order of the immortal, you don't get access to that stuff. You're focused more on the physical stuff. If you remember the order of the blade, which would be like the the, the soul knife, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you'd get a very distinct set of abilities. Cool. Um, the order of the ardent would be the same thing. That'd be more. I inspire emotions in people. I'm this inspiring leader. Um, Again, a different set of disciplines. Gotcha. And, you know, that's something which would be interesting to see how it holds up the play test, you know, because, but, but I think having the separate list is where, that's where we started, because that does let each order feel very distinct. You know, they don't blur into each other. Yeah. And you, you, you very excitedly say, yes, it does open the door for more psionic stuff? Oh, yeah. So you guys are already looking at, like, what else you could do? Or? Oh, yeah. So in the play test um, packet um, on, on Earth Arcana, um, there's the Order of the Awakened and the Order of the Immortal. Yeah, and so there's other orders. We basically already kind of mapped out what the other classes would look like as orders. Gotcha. Um, conceptually. Mm-hmm. And so then that will let us, we can add, cover cover those all more easily without having to do separate character classes. Cool. So Psionic's coming soon in Anartha Canna. We'll excitedly look forward to that, if they're not already out on the website. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also wanted to, and earlier we did, uh, open up Twitter to some questions that folks might have, so we thought we would grill you on a random grab bag. Okay. Yeah. Just randomly choosing them. Yeah. And first of all, <laughs> everybody... We haven't been vetted at all. Yeah. <laughs> and, by, and by haven't been vetted at all, we mean we're not going to talk about all sorts of stuff that's not out yet. Because yeah. there are always lots of these questions like, what about this thing? What about that thing? And it's like, we haven't said anything about that. We probably can't are, talk about that. There are some, there are some good ones in yes. here. Let's hear it. Okay. How about this one? Who is your favorite female character in D&D lore and why? Oh, in D&D lore. I always liked Lorana from Dragonlance because oh. I liked her, her character arc. She kind of starts out as a spoiled brat and ends up becoming like the most skilled and talented general and, and basically leads the armies of good to victory. The, I mean, the ending of the story where she's kind of cast as helpless is like, eh, I could, I'm, I'm not crazy about that. But the, um, I like that idea of, you know, she kind of grows into herself and realizes she's this very charismatic, cunning, you know, warrior. And, you know, when she takes down the dragons at the High Claris Tower, it's pretty badass. Somebody did ask um, whether designers were revising the ranger. (laughs) There you go, right? I like this question, too. What kind of house rules are you using in the games you run? Oh, so if you've been watching the live stream... Oh, doing oh we have a follow-up question yeah, about that, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so is that, I wonder if it's with a bird call. The, uh, no, so one of the things that I've started doing <laughs> is um, if you follow the live stream, you've seen this, but if you haven't, here's the answer. Um, I always forget to give people inspiration. So what I do now is I give them a list of things. Like, hey, if you do this, just check it off and give yourself inspiration. So hmm. let's the players track it. But it also means the players can always be like, what should I do next? They can always look at, oh, here are my short-term goals. Mm-hmm. Now, in the live stream, those are things I created and just gave to the players. But what I would do in a home campaign is have the players create that list. Okay. And then I would just say, sure, that looks good. Like what you know? kind of things are on the list? Oh, so for instance, in the live stream game, um, one of the players has been sent by the Greyhawk Thieves Guild to take down this gambler named uh, Fernock of Ferd. So his things are like – and the idea is that they don't want it traced back to the guild. So he has to befriend Fernock. If he does that, he gets his inspiration. If he can steal an item that the guild wants from Fernock, he – and get inspiration. If he can kill Fernock without anyone knowing who did it or that he did it, he can gain inspiration. So things like that. So it kind of establishes his storyline for the first part of the campaign. That's really cool. I like the idea for one-offs yep. having a, like, like if it's a one-off and you, the character's already there, you'd be like, and here's the things you can do yeah. to motivate them to play a certain way. And it's really helped, you know, I mean, if you watch the live stream, like we had basically no prep for the players. They all made their characters separately and I think it helped kind of kick things off pretty quickly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So speaking of the live game, 
Yeah. We were over in our area, and, and people who, who don't aren't familiar with The Office don't know that we sit right next to the Magic Team. And the Magic Team is in Mike's game uh, for that live stream right now. And they love it. They're super excited. They were super excited to be in it. Uh, but Matt Danner yep. wants to know well, why you're such good. a killer DM. <laughs> <laughs> I believe he called you a meat grinder. Oh, yeah, yeah, meat yeah. grinder. Well, so, uh, And I did remind him that that adventure is pretty harsh. It's well. It, this is the, the section I'm running now is something I made up as a sort of prelude. Oh, okay. The um. So if you wanted to be a meat grinder, they could have gone to the moat house at first level. Yes. And I could have run it straight. But the um. And the adventure you're running now, it is the original. It's the original temple yeah. of elemental evil. Yeah. But it's exactly. something you made up for it. Right? Just like yeah. the first two sessions were just a little prelude. Thing. Yeah. The um. So for those not in the know, um, we had a rogue, and Matt's rogue was unceremoni- unceremoniously splattered by a half ogre. <laughs> who hurled a rock at him and crushed him. Now, he only had two hit points left, and that was kind of his thing. Was yeah. He kind of got into combat with two hit points. Uh, he had rolled a one after they took their short rest. Every oh. game sit dice. So he went from one hit point to two. Oh. Uh, yeah, so he doubled his hit points. That's good news. <laughs> so all you um, demons out there, a house rule you may want to use is they get average on their roll. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, you can just roll the dice and see what happens. Okay. And or you can so, choose not to fight the yeah. ogre with two hit points. Yeah, that's the. I think that was kind of the tactical mistake. He thought he was safe. Because they were firing and they were fighting the ogre in this tower. The ogre was in the tower's doorway, and he was way in the back sniping, and didn't see it coming when the ogre half ogre reached down and picked up a giant rock and just chucked it at him. And then I rolled a seventeen before yeah. mods, so yeah, that was one dead rogue. So he's very upset about this. Yeah. But Tanner will be joining everybody again. Uh, is yeah. it this week? Yeah, it's this Thursday. So I don't know if he's going to make a new character. He's got a new he character. Yeah. yeah, he's got, and they're also going to be second level. So he I gets to play the rock. Stone that killed him. So yeah, that, that was fun because I had I wasn't really tracking. I had no idea it was going to kill him. It's like oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, first level, <laughs> you're well, fighting half ogre. They, that they came out of that that game like shell shocked. It was really. There was, was a lot of white faces and white eyes. Pretty, and like, you know, it was really all. They almost all died, and part of it was they had some bad luck. I mean, half ogres aren't anything to trifle with at first level. But the um, yeah they had they had some bad luck. But what was the half ogre? Um, I think they're CR one. Okay. Remember, right. They they hit they hit like a truck for first level yeah. characters. So they're gonna say there was clearly something wrong with your conversion. Oh, it shouldn't perfect. have happened. It was perfect. They, it was <laughs> awesome. We had one character left at the end, and they managed to put down the half ogre. So oh, they are a fun group though. They are they are actually a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying the role playing that's taking place at the table. Who cool. knew that the magic team was such avid role players? I know, right? They've they've just been apparently begging and waiting for someone to ask them to play D and D. It's been a lot of fun. So you can actually you can watch these games on our YouTube channel. Yes, we've got apparently lots of promotions for the website this week. We've got uh, <laughs> this podcast. We've unearthed Arcana. The Errata's up. Yeah. Uh, the playtest reports out, or uh, uh, not playtest reports. The player surveys also uh, go up on the site on a, on a monthly basis for, for yes, feedback. Yes, end of the month. That yep. which Mike also writes the reports for. And yeah, the. Live stream game happens on the YouTube channel. Uh, in, in the archives, it happens on the website live. And, uh, yeah, and Twitch live, Twitch. and we put it on YouTube and this, uh, yeah, YouTube afterwards. Yeah. we got a lot of stuff going on. We do. Strangely enough, Very we busy. do lots of stuff. Strangely, <laughs> we can all get together for this little <laughs> podcast. Um, it's a couple more questions. What Was there anything, I'm paraphrasing this person's question because I can't find it again, but any aspects of 5th edition that surprised you that either people really loved or people disliked more than you thought they would? I don't think there's anything people disliked. I mean, I, I didn't think there was anything that stood out as, oh, people will hate that, which is always a good feeling as a designer to put a game out there and feel like, I don't think there's anything they'll hate. The, um, I, you know, I think the, I think the thing that surprised me the most was how people felt like 
like they really saw the kind of roots in second edition in a lot of ways in the design intent of, hey, play the game how you want, mm-hmm. which what is really a big shift from third and fourth, where by design, those games are built to be, here are the rules, you should follow all the rules. The, um, and so that was kind of nice. I didn't know if people would pick up on that, if that's something people would. And also the reaction to the inspiration rules. I'm very happy with people. I felt like role-playing is really being encouraged, yeah. being more right. front and center. I mean, the games always talk about role-playing as being important. But I think putting that nudge to just, just enough of a light mechanic to make it feel like it mattered, I think, was something people really liked. And so I was really happy to see that. Okay. We've seen a lot of really cool D&D tattoos lately, right? We're, yes. We were just looking at this in our meeting earlier. So if you, this is not a, this is a question that I'm just curious. I'm going to ask all of you. <laughs> if you had to, you had to get a D&D inspired tattoo, what would it be? It has to be something from D&D. Oh. Uh, I think I would get a I'd get a die like a natural twenty or something okay. like that. Just gets my arm or somewhere boring like that. Do you have any tattoos? No, nah, I'm not. I'm not a tattoo kind of person. Yeah, me I was. I, I guess I subscribe to the entire like you know you change so much over the course of your life. I can't imagine getting a tattoo in not five years like thinking no. differently about it. And thank God because you know like in college if I was gonna get a tattoo I would hate myself so much right now for what it would have been. It's something like a dolphin. <laughs> the hoodie and the blowfish. <laughs> No, I would totally love that. Grunge music forever. It'll (laughs) never go away. We're we're talking to this. Somebody and uh, uh, Trevor tweeted this. That's a tricky one. Uh, Somebody got a beautiful Caves of Chaos tattoo on the shoulder of the map. Oh, wow. Fantastic. That's really cool. That's really cool. So I mentioned this earlier. I would do either the whole map, which might be a little expansive, or part of the map from Tomb of Horrors (laughs) in the non-repro blue ink. Oh, man. Where? Your whole back? No, I would want to be able to, I don't know, the sole of my foot. I, somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> a really, really small version of the map if it's on your foot. Right. Uh, and on the palm of my hand. I could always re- oh, that guy, that we saw one that with a guy who had a D20 on the palm of his hand. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So, yes, Trevor, I'll, what would you before like? we answer the question, yes. If you have D&D t- tattoos and you're posting them up on social media, we see them. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> and we, want, we, want and we appreciate them. Yeah. We want to see, like, you know, in like a... Be, be careful if you send us pictures. Yeah. We can't. We can't. We can't turn our our, our filters off at work. So I'm, I'm only gonna see it if it's okay. Um, so for me, I don't know. I've thought about this a lot because my next tattoo I'm gonna get is gonna be a shoulder, uh, kind of like what Bart here has here, right? But it's gonna encompass all the things that I've liked, like my hobbies and stuff like that. So it's definitely gonna have a D and D thing in it. I just don't know what it is yet. I think if I if I had to get a D and D tattoo right now, it would probably just be the ampersand somewhere. Yeah, I was thinking ampersand um, would be cool. Yeah, D&D specific. Uh, I know that's, that's probably pretty generic, but there's not one piece of art that, that spoke to me as far as D&D goes that was awesome. I like I like it all, so I, I couldn't figure one adventure or one piece of art. Um, the, the ampersand is pretty iconic to me. Make sure you get the legal text also tattooed <laughs> on your arm if you're going to use I don't, art. I, don't, I mean, I'm no legal expert. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure Marty's they don't own my body. Find you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there a TM on there? Yeah. Um, Did you answer the question? No, I don't really want a tattoo. Oh, well, come it's on. A hypothetical. <laughs> just a kidding. temporary tattoo. I might get. I like beholders a lot. Uh-huh. If I'm gonna go big, I might just or an owl, cute little owl bear. Um, I like the the figurines of wondrous power. Does mm-hmm. that count? Because yeah, I think yeah, some of those are really cool. Yeah. Get the fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah get fly. Maybe not the fly one. But some of them <laughs> are really cool. And I like the ampersand, too. Maybe we could have a contest, Trevor. We can design your tattoo. We could we could do a thing where, like, if if 
D&D does blah, 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 blah. Trevor will get a tattoo. <laughs> I mean, I would do it. My wife we would probably be a little upset. But it, It's a living inspiration list for the, uh, for the community. Yeah, exactly. We totally want Trevor to get that tattoo, yeah. so we're going to make this happen. That's, how, right. that's how important I am. Wheels turning. Done and done. <laughs> Love it. Shelly's right. going to make it happen. Do we have time for a couple more questions? Um, yes. Do you guys have questions while I continue scrolling through Twitter? Sorry, so I wasn't before, b- before, before we actually got on the podcast, there were two things that Shelly and I said we had to talk about. One of them we've already oh, talked yeah. about because it was your dog. Okay. One of your dogs, so One that dog. counts. So how's your baby daughter doing? Oh, she's doing so well. So she's eating solid food now. Uh, uh, for some reason, I was like, she's eating D20. Yeah, so I was she, like, oh, don't do that. So she tries. She's going to keep stuff out of her reach. Is she also coming up on her one-year anniversary? She's uh, She turned six months Oh, yeah. this month. Okay. So. Oh my God, she is so hilarious. Um, so she's going to be trouble. And uh, <laughs> we already can tell. So she started crawling too. I left for Origins. She started crawling that day. And I swear, if you put her down on the ground, she will immediately crawl to the one thing, like whatever it is in the area you don't want her to crawl to and mess with, she goes straight for it. I hear that's typical parent yeah, problem right there. It's like, oh, look, this is the dangerous thing. And the other interesting thing about her, like, you know, she's, she's six months, is like she, when she couldn't crawl, she really wanted to crawl and would get mad. Like she's like the angriest baby I've ever met. <laughs> and so she would get mad. Like she'd want to crawl. And now she wants to walk. Like to her, mad. it's like crawling. Okay, that's fun. It's dead to me. I'm over. <laughs> I need to walk. And she wants to stand up. And the yeah. funny thing is, she used to be, if she took a tumble, she'd cry, cry. And if she isn't trying to walk, if she falls or something bumps into her or whatever, the dog jumps on her, she'll kind of cry. But if she's trying to walk, if she's in that mode of I want to walk and stand, like she just doesn't cry. Like she'll stand up, fall over, and she just gets right back. Doing this again. Yeah, so it's like, damn, I'm already a little nervous around my kid. Like, she is, like, just, like, determined to do this. She's got, like, this bulldog mentality. So it's like, man, like, it's pretty cool watching it. So the important question that our fans want to know now is like, how has this influenced your D and D design and development philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> more rules for them to watch. Yeah, a lot more stuff down. We're gonna we're gonna comments. get really really granular about what it takes for a character to walk. <laughs> yeah, no, like lots more cutesy art. Right, that's the thing. Hey, hey, that Father's Day card, Emmy. Oh I think yeah, it was that awesome. Was Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Father Noel's best. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. I came so, up with that. That's good. That's Thanks. good. It was adorable. Thanks. I like that they're standing on a pile of crushed skulls. Yes. <laughs> that is that is the best thing about the Mother's Day and Father's Day card. The Mother's Day was dragons, and like you see all these villagers like freaking out, some of them dead with the cross eyes, and that dragons are so happy. It and would, Father's Day is like, yes, they're they're sitting on skulls. It is very appropriate. So for my daughter, we took her <laughs> we took her to like this gym class kind of thing. They learn like tumbling and different things. And one part of it we had to put the kids like in the middle of the room and step back. And they're like, oh, this is like for attachment, you know, so your kid is not freaked out when you're not there. Like my kid is, she's fine from out there, right? The problem is she has like beaten up several other babies already. <laughs> <laughs> like she likes to grab hair. She likes to scratch at eyes. Like she's mean. Like I said, she's a mean, angry. She's awesome. And she's so adorable and I love her so much. <laughs> and it's actually kind of cool that I have like a road warrior for a daughter. Right? It's like <laughs> impaired or furiosa, right? Like that's who she's going to be when she grows up. That's pretty awesome. That's a good nickname for her. Yeah, right? She's like, she's tough. Like she, she just likes to beat people up. So I don't know. Let me hockey. So I told my wife she's gonna be a hockey player. That's what that's oh. your sport. Also, awesome. play hockey. So, really, she's gonna be a rocket scientist who plays hockey. Yeah, you you know, know. Yeah. Time off. So yeah, so it's just funny. Why it's just uh, she's awesome. So so Aww. do we give you enough time to get some questions over there? I got a couple more. Go for it. Um, I think I just think this would be really interesting if we could do it or did would did do it. Well, would optional. What optional rules that get a test run in Unearthed Arcana potentially make it into a big book of optional rules? How cool would that, that be? That would be very cool. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, it be? That would be very cool. And one could say that 
you know, one of the nice things about Unearth Arcana is it lets us test out all these mechanics, and then we do surveys, see if you guys like it, and if you like it, what we should fix in it. And that's kind of convenient. Let's, it has, it reminds me of something we did a couple it, of years yeah, ago. Yeah, there was this thing. I mean, <laughs> I'm having a hard time figuring it out. Yeah, like, did we do a new edition of Wasn't it like two lately? years yeah, playtesting or something? Yeah, something like that. Oh, okay, so. well, we'll figure it out. But it, it's definitely part of our entire approach of like we want to do few products, but the products we do be very high quality. And the, one of the best ways to ensure quality is like have people try things and tell you if they like it. I mean, that's kind of like the lazy way of doing it, but I mean, I'm lazy, so I'll do it that <laughs> way. And it's working so far for fifth, so we'll keep doing it. It just takes a lot of time. Give yeah. the people so. what they want. But we have that luxury, and that's one of the things I, I think the company's always been very supportive and has their own wizards of, of saying get it right. So. Mm-hmm. I can't find this question now, so I will have to paraphrase again, but somebody as a dungeon master who is used to using miniatures and grids and, and maps and stuff, what's good advice for not using that stuff? So... The challenge that they don't have to, they yeah. still can because no. we do have beautiful miniatures out there. You can totally have WizKids makes awesome miniatures, as does Gale Force Nine. Um, but if you're not going to use a grid, placement. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm now going to drink this carbonated beverage. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so the so I at Origins actually, um, I played in a game. Uh, Sean Merwin's one of our writers for organized play, and uh, I really like the adventures he writes because I think he has this really down. What you need to do is think of it not like, oh, I'm not using miniatures, so it's theater of the mind. It, I mean, that's part of it. But the other part of it is when you say theater of the mind, you really have to think, what am I going to do that will evoke a scene for the players and evoke these important points in the encounter area? So think of it in terms of the exciting and interesting thing in the battle is not necessarily going to be the creatures you're fighting, but the location. So think of one or two points in the battlefield that are going to be interesting places the players will want to go to or interact with, and then think of all your descriptions in terms of those. Are you close to the altar? Are you close to the raging fire? Are you close to or far from, you know, the rushing river that's in the middle, you know, as you're fighting on one side of the river against monsters on the other, and things like that, where it's a piece of terrain or an element in the scenery that the players and or monsters will want to interact with. And then just think in terms of the relative distance. And the other thing to think of, and as someone who designed, as the co-designer of the game, don't worry about the details. Whether the fireball gets four or five people, it doesn't matter. The math is not that brittle. It is very, it's by design, has a lot of cushioning built into it, where if you get an extra target or one fewer targets, or one more target, it's not actually really going to matter. It's not that precise where, oh, if you're off by one, it's going to be a huge deal. The math is by design. There's so much randomness in a D&D encounter between attack rolls, damage rolls, and what people might do, don't sweat getting the exact details. I will actually, and I think if you watched the live stream, I don't know if this came across, I'll sometimes just roll dice. You know, I fireball the orcs, how many do I get? I'll roll two six-siders, you got seven, you know, or whatever. I'll do like 1d6 plus three. And that's how I'll determine it, right? Because it's like, you know, if you're not using miniatures, you are committed to, to letting go of that precision. Right. And the worst thing you can do is not use miniatures, but still try to use miniatures yeah. by trying to track every foot. Well, he's 15 feet behind this guy, and he's like yeah. 12 feet behind that guy. And like, come on, yeah. So you want to do things in terms of like you can you could move up to this guy. You know, yeah, he's close enough you can move up to him. No, he's too, if you want to move up to him, you have to use your action to to rush to get up to him or hustle, whatever it's called. This is the <laughs> there are all these weird random things that I will never get keep straight because we name them five things during the design process. <laughs> so. That is that is the negative side of the playtest for me. Like yeah. we were talking about Ranger and I'm like, wait, 
Is this one thing that was in the playtest? Is that not public now? I don't remember, <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about spells? it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, great. I think that was a very uh, welcomed grab bag. And as always, it's great to corner you for a bit of the podcast. And that means we want to do it again. <laughs> That's as soon as we can. We're going to do this like every month or two. We're just going to grab Mike and or Jeremy. Yeah. It's fun. Good hell, State yeah. of the Union. And if, if you want, if you have questions for me before then, I'm on Twitter and I try to answer your questions that get asked. I'm just Mike Merle's on Twitter, just one word. Yeah. So typically, if you ask me a rules question, I'm going to give you my opinion yeah. because Jeremy Crawford is the rules guy. Yeah. I'm more like the vision guy. Yeah. Uh, and on that note, if you have rules, rules questions, uh, even Jeremy will often say that, you know, these are his answers. Yeah. But if you want, like, the official official, we try to do those with the Sage Advice columns. Exactly. And there is the Sage Advice at wizards.com, I believe, is what it's called. Yep. So That's the email, yeah. And another web resource we provide to you on a monthly basis. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we're just sitting over here doing nothing, guys. That's what we're trying to say. We don't do anything. Well, as always, thanks for your time. Cool. Thanks, Harry. Thanks, Mike. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the D&D Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. We are very excited to have you here. We've even brought our special guest host. Ooh, so special. Right? Yeah. Jordan. Hello. Um, Jordan works on our WPN team, the Wizards Play Network team. I do. And I, yeah, I write articles for the WPN website and scripts for our videos. Oh, very exciting. Yeah. When are Great. you going to write a part for me in yes. the script? I think, needs a bit. I think I invite you to every video to be an so. extra that well, we feature. See, therein lies the problem, Jordan. I was a theater major, yeah. so uh, I might be a little rusty, but okay. I could probably handle speaking. I didn't mind. know that. Yeah, well, you could be our next retailer. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Paul, how would you feel about that? Do you think I could play a retailer? I think you could pull it off convincingly. Okay. You okay. think she's got the chops? Got the chops. See, she's convincing because you guys only talk for like a few minutes. And you've already convinced Paul. Like, bam. <laughs> yes. Boom. All right. Um, well, we've invited Jordan to come chat with us because uh, Jordan is actually the one that brought this wonderful story to our attention. Um, Paul, you are that wonderful story that we're talking about. Um, we're, we've heard um, some great stories about how people introduce kids to D&D for all sorts of reasons, but um, your story really stood out to us. So we um, want to just get you on the podcast to talk a little bit about what you're doing and partnering with schools. And probably what our first question would be is the first question we ask all of our guests. What is your history with D&D? How uh, were you first introduced to it? How long have you played? Any memorable characters? Uh, I started playing D&D when I was 13, so it was about 20 years ago. Uh, a friend's family friend uh, was a DM and had been playing since the game had come out, and he introduced a whole group of us to it. There were about eight of us that met up every couple weeks and, uh, and played in the campaign that he had created for us, and it was a blast. We continued playing all through high school and then switched over to running our own games and met new people doing it and played all through university. And I mean, I work at a comic book store, so <laughs> it's never really stopped playing uh, D&D or other role-playing games for me. That's awesome. Yeah. So you certainly know the benefits firsthand. Yes. Yep. So it sounds like um, your com your comic book store, Conspiracy Comics, there's three stores in the Ontario area. It sounds like you're doing very well, and that's something that we love to hear. 
Yep, yep. So what can you tell us a little bit about your stores? Like what types of events are you running there and how are you building the community around those stores? Share all your secrets about how you're so successful. Tell really. Us. Tell us everything. Jordan <coughs> is taking everything. notes right I now. I am, yes. <laughs> I might share your story elsewhere. Yes. So uh, at our three stores, we've, uh, in terms of gaming events, we focus primarily on Magic the Gathering, uh, mainly Friday Night Magic, but also standard events that occur through the week. Uh, we get good turnouts to both our Hamilton and Burlington uh, locations for F&M, uh, mainly draft events. Uh, we like that one because it's a very easy event for a new player to come out to. If they've just learned to play the game, uh, they can still have fun. They don't have to have a standard deck or a format deck that way that they can play. Uh, at the Burlington location, we also have uh, another kids' D&D event, actually, that was started by a student who is now in high school uh, and his father, who were running it. And he's using that for, in Ontario, we have to have community service hours for high school students. So he's using this to fulfill his community service requirement, That's coming awesome. out to the store and running D&D for awesome. a bunch of peers and, uh, and things that way, um, as well as... Sorry? Was the student uh, a player at your store and that's how he came to you or did he just come to you out of the blue? Uh, he was a player at our store when uh, we had a group coming out every Wednesday for the Encounters events. Mm -hmm. We no longer have that group coming, but he started this group instead. Uh, he and his dad started coming out to the Encounters events. He was probably about 18 years younger than the next youngest person oh. in the group wow. when he started coming out. I think he was about eight when he started coming out to <laughs> no the events in the store. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. He's been gaming. Uh, he's... I remember when he first came into the store, he was about three. He had just seen the second Spider-Man movie and wanted Spider-Man cards. So I sold them the uh, Spider-Man pack of Marvel Versus system that was out at the time. And his dad came back the next day and said, well, this is a game. Teach me how to play. Oh. So I did. And then he taught his son how to play. And they started playing that, Hero Clicks, then Magic, Dungeons & Dragons, board games, all Super kinds of stuff dad. from that point on. No kidding. There's dads all over the world right now going, yes, yes, that's my dream. Yep. <laughs> I love that. So how did this partnership um, between your stores and the local school come to be? Uh, one of my best friends is a teacher, Peter Collinson, is a teacher at East, Eastview Elementary School in Oakville. And he and I role play together regularly. We have a group that we do stuff with once a month. And he approached me about what would he need to do to set up D&D events for kids at the school? How could he get books? How could he get dice and organize uh, events that way? So we uh, have a program already at our stores to support school libraries with graphic novels and manga. So we extended that to D&D books and to dice, giving the schools a discount and credit back with us to buy more stuff. Uh, and we set them up with uh, three players' handbooks, 12 packs of dice, and they went off with that. Okay, so this partnership that you do with libraries already? That's a, it's libraries would be able to get a discount on materials through your store? Yes, that's correct. That is, yeah. That's a brilliant idea. Brilliant. How did that come about? Who came up with that brilliant idea? I'm sure Paul did. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was Paul. me. It oh. had been going on since before I started working at the store. Uh, but I've done a lot of work with libraries since I've been here to help kind of extend the, uh, the reach of the program and uh, get more comics and graphic novels and manga into, into schools. Is this just the school library or, or public libraries as well? Uh, we've done both. We've done school cool. libraries here in Halton as well as uh, the Burlington Public Library. We've gotten uh, some books, too, and we partner with them every year for a free comic book day as well. Oh, right on. Cool. That's great. So how did the kids respond to their first few games of D&D? &D? Um, and what do you think it was about the game that, that appealed to them? 
the thing, they responded very, very well. They were excited. The thing that I think appealed most to them was that uh, many of the kids came from a video game background. And while there's still the kind of sandbox video games and you can run off and do almost anything, you can't do anything in the games. There's confines. One of the things that appealed to the most about D&D is that those confines were largely lifted. Mm -hmm. It was whatever they could do within the imagining of the game master or the dungeon master, which to start off was, was my friend Peter and myself. So we let them do pretty much whatever they wanted within the confines of the world uh, so that they could run around and just explore and play with the idea of uh, collaborative and cooperative storytelling. So what were they most interested in? Did they want to get out there and just start slaying dragons or were they interested in exploration or sharing stories with each other? It, it was a mix. There was a lot of kids that were very interested in combat early on and started min-maxing and figuring out how they could make the best character possible at level one, which yeah. I don't know how you do that at level one, but they were trying. <laughs> uh, and there were, some kids who, <laughs> nice. there were some kids who very much enjoyed the exploration aspect as well as the social aspect of the game in terms of telling stories and building stories with one another. How old are these kids? Uh, 12 to 14. Huh. Are they boys and girls? Yes, yep. okay. there's uh, about 18 kids. Three of them are girls, mostly boys. But there were three girls who were interested in playing. And with this last round, every couple weeks, or every six weeks, I guess, we switch up the DMs. Uh, this last round, one of the girls started dungeon mastering as well. Nice. Oh, that's really good. Yep. So now, how did you put the call out to these, to the or how did your, your friend who's the teacher put the call out to the kids? Was it something that they were, had already expressed interest in wanting to learn or to start a club with? Or did he have the idea to do it? He had the idea to do it. He started talking to them about it during breaks, uh, like during recess and such that way, uh, and lunch breaks. And uh, he put the call out to uh, all of the students that he taught to see if there was any interest in terms of people wanting to come out for a Dungeons & Dragons event. His school has been very supportive of the event. The principal, uh, I remember the first day that we were doing it, came in and took pictures of everybody and Aww, had nice. lots of fun with his D&Ders and things that way. So that was really cool. And the parents know of this, too? And they approve? <laughs> yep. All right. They do, awesome. they do. There was a, a permission form had to go home okay. uh, oh. for the kids because the event was taking place after school. They oh, needed yeah. to, uh, just from the school side, they needed to get permission from the parents for the kids to be heading home later than usual. So oh, parents are probably like, yes. <laughs> yes. After school programs, <laughs> that's yes. fantastic. Yeah. Since yeah. we're talking about school, is there kind of like an educational bit to the games? Like is there something that you guys are trying to teach the kids as you play? Maybe it's social skills or something else. Like, Is, is it like that or is it just literally just for fun? Uh, there's nothing overt that we're putting into the games that way. Mm -hmm. uh, we are keeping it just for fun from the kids' perspective. We do every so often poke and prod in certain directions uh, in terms of presenting them with uh, a problem that they wouldn't have come up with on their own to see how they come out with a solution to it, usually mm -hmm. forcing them to work together to come up with a solution instead of trying to do things individually, which they all seem to want to do from time to time. <laughs> do you think there are any skills that they're learning uh, from playing the games? Oh, absolutely. There are skills of... Uh, cooperative and collaborative learning that are going on where they have to work with one another and use each other's skills to help benefit the whole. There's uh, problem solving skills as most of the games, even the ones the kids put out are rife with puzzles constantly through it where they have to figure out a way to get through this wall or into this dungeon or out of this room. Yeah. Uh, 
And there are uh, a lot of note-taking and even math skills, obviously, oh, that are involved, more yeah. than just the simple addition and subtraction, uh, to try and determine what they can do and how best to affect the encounter. And see, so they're like, hmm, we can probably do two more fights before we have to yep. sleep. Yep. my mom's coming to pick me up. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about before they pass up because their hit points are gone. Oh. <laughs> before yeah. they have to take a long rest, yeah. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> In two worlds. So what are you running? Or what is it? Are you just... Do you have adventures that you guys have created yourselves? Or are you running published adventures? Or uh, So we started off running uh, an adventure that Peter had created, uh, okay. which was in intended to just introduce them to what Dungeons & Dragons and what role-playing in general was. Uh, the goal being to show them different types of encounters, whether they were combat or non-combat, uh, and just get them used to some of the mechanics of the game. While he was running those, I was often writing things up on the board so that they would remember how to determine their initiative or how to make an attack oh, that's roll. Good. Just a little mechanics of the game that way that they don't always get. We thought... We considered having the Game Master make all of those rolls to start, but we really want to get the dice in the kid's hand, because that's part of the fun, uh -huh. is just seeing what your character can do and what mm -hmm. you're capable of. So um, they were learning as, as they went. You didn't yes, show them yes, everything all at once. No, we but. pieced it out to them, uh, for sure. Uh, shortly after that, I mean, we ran it as two separate groups, but it was still nine kids to a group. So that was rather unwieldy. So after only a couple sessions of that, we had kids who had already expressed interest in Dungeon Mastering, and many wow. of them, their parents had gone out and bought them books. Oh, so they were reading awesome. the stuff on their own. So we split uh, the group up into uh, four groups. And he and I would float around and help out with the groups that way in terms of rules questions or how to adjudicate this situation, sometimes sitting in as a guest player just to mess with things and <laughs> things moving yeah. in an interesting manner. Keep and, them on their toes. Uh, because kids' schedules are busy, sometimes here I would guest DM a session yeah. just with the kids during the two hours that, uh, that we had them. That's cool. So when you're seeing these kids DM... Um, are, are you noticing anything? Like, are, are they super excited? Do they come? Do they come like with all these notes and everything? Or do you have some that are coming in just like I'm gonna make stuff up and right. go? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. Some of them are just sitting there with nothing at all in front of them, and they're making it up clearly entirely off the top of their head. Uh, and there are some kids who have notebooks just full of everything that could possibly go on, uh, <laughs> just depending on their approach to the game, whether they're very rules or mechanics focused, or whether they're very story focused. We're going to be working with those ones in like the next 10 years. What kind of tips did you share to help prepare them for their first time behind the DM screen? Uh, the biggest thing that I told them was whether they know the rules or don't know the rules, it's important when you're a dungeon master to be consistent. Uh, if you if you have a player who wants to try and break down this door, and instead of spending ten minutes flipping through a book trying to find whatever the DC and or the hardness of the door is, just make something up. But whatever you make up, do it again the same way the next time, huh. so that there's still a standard that the kids can understand, and it doesn't feel like it will, it's unfair from one student to another mm -hmm. in terms of what they're trying to do. That was the biggest thing that I shared with them: is don't worry about being exactly to the rules. Mm -hmm. The point is to have fun and to play with the game and to play within the system itself. That's the best advice I think someone could give. Yeah, it's like, really it's like you need to kind of know the rules, but just be consistent. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just keep having fun. So I'm just curious, going back to what you said when your friend, the teacher, started um, get, getting gauging interest in Dungeons & Dragons, when he asked these kids if they wanted to learn how to play, what was, like, how did they respond? Were they like... What what is Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, okay. Or were they like, 
oh, that's my dad's game, or, you know, like, <laughs> or were they, like, because, I, I mean, I feel like when I talk to a kid, I don't do that that often, but they're interested in, D, like, they're really excited about D&D, and you think, you have all these video games and these, you know, smartphones and every, everything is so digital, they're really excited about the idea of sitting around just talking to each other. Did you find, was that how they were responding? Largely. Uh, Peter is a big video gamer as well. So he talked to the kids initially about it in terms of how video games work and pointed out what you could do inside a video game mm -hmm. and could then also do inside D&D &D, and what you couldn't do inside a video game, but you could do inside D&D. &D. One of the first examples he gave to them was uh, in the middle of a video game, could you sit down, make a fire and toast a marshmallow? <laughs> and they, of course, said, no, you can't. And he said, well, you can in D&D. And that sparked their interest. Sold. And just got them excited with the ideas of possibilities. Because they all did. wanted s'mores at that yeah. point. That's they all delicious. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't follow up and tell them, like, well, it's not real. You don't get to eat the marshmallow. Right. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. But you can. So, wait, so food. I'm hearing use food <laughs> to yeah. teach people about D&D. Teach people about D&D. Sure. How it works. Yep. Specifically sweets. Yep. So how long have you been playing with these kids? Uh, we started the group, uh, I believe it was back in December. Oh, nice. Have you noticed like any change in, in like how their behavior or how, uh, treating each other or just playing D&D in general? Have you, have you watched them change? Yep. Uh, a lot of them have grown quite a bit in terms of the way the, the game works and in interacting with one another, which is really nice to see. Uh, uh, there's less arguing now uh, overall than there was at the beginning of the game nice. because they've just gotten comfortable in terms of the way the game works and in terms of the roles that they play. Even though we switch up Dungeon Masters every now and again, uh, they still know what to expect from a Dungeon Master and the Dungeon Masters know what to give right. and, uh, and how to operate in terms of that structure. It's still pretty amazing that these kids are like, they want to be Dungeon Masters. Yeah, like yeah. right off the bat. They're not intimidated at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a cool imagination. But how I think about it's the... part of not knowing, <laughs> because yeah. they haven't. Yeah. Most of them haven't looked at a fully published adventure, yeah. and everything that goes into a fully published adventure. So they're not awed by it, and they're not shocked by it at the same time. So they just come in and go, "Yeah, sure, I'll do stuff," I'll just make <laughs> and they just up make something up. Yeah. yeah, they don't know they should be scared by it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ignorance yeah. is bliss. It's <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Don't be scared by it because there's nothing to be scared about. <laughs> no. Has their teacher noticed a, a change in them in the classroom? Largely, yes. Uh, his rapport with the kids has always been very good, but his rapport with the D&D kids, some of whom were very, very quiet in the classroom, uh, has grown from what he's told me. He's been able to uh, get a lot more out of them in terms of interaction within the classroom and the games that they play and the projects and assignments that they do, which has been really nice as well. So the quieter kids are starting to come out of their shell a little bit? A little bit, get, yes. Getting yeah. more confidence and yep. friendships, that kind of thing. Are you noticing any, like... Do you see yourself in any of these kids? Like, that was me when I was 12 years old. Yes, yes. This kid's going to grow up and <laughs> nice. manage Absolutely. a comic book yeah. store. <laughs> oh, perhaps, yeah. Yep. Love that. That was me when I was younger, so. <laughs> that was you too, Charlie? Mm -hmm. I was like eight or nine, and then D&D. I had friends. A friend's older brother made me a fighter so I could play with them, and they were much older. Oh. <laughs> uh, but after that, like, I went and bought. I, I think I probably shared this story like eight times on the podcast already. So I went and bought some books. They were the wrong books. They were all just DM, like, adventures. They were the wrong books. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I was sucked in. It was awesome stuff. So. I made a lot of friends because of D&D. &D. Yeah. Yeah, we hear that a lot. Uh, so are they also creating their own characters, or did you give them pre-gens to start with? Huh. 
Nope, they created their own characters. Uh, we spent an afternoon in the computer lab uh, with uh, PDFs of the uh, base four character classes. This is and, awesome. Uh, I love this. Peter put together a little write-up on how to make a character and what to go through uh, in terms of rolling rolling up the ability scores, and I was helping them pick skills. About half of the group wanted to be elven rangers. I was so just going to ask that. So they all sat together Named Legolas. and created their elven rangers. <laughs> that was my first or, character. Or what was, yeah, I was, I was curious about what their favorite classes and races were. Yeah, by and large, it was elven rangers. Nice. Those were the... Uh, we had almost all of the classes represented. Uh, warlocks. I think we only had sorcerers, but not wizards. Uh, at the outset, but they've changed characters a little bit over time as well, just as they move around or take a better look at the books or see what somebody else is playing and say, I want to try that. Okay. I'm actually interested why they chose Elven Rangers. Did they want to be Legolas or was it something else? Uh, No, it was largely Legolas or Katniss. Oh, Oh, there we go. Oh, That's a good one too. Yeah. Yeah. So did anybody want to be themselves? I see this sometimes where like someone new to the game, they they just make a version of themselves basically. And all these kids were like, nope, I'm going to be something fantastical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they wanted to be something fantastical. Absolutely. Awesome. I'm with them there. Yeah. I've never played a human. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty boring. I don't know. I don't really want to be <laughs> Trevor, the brand guy, when I sit down and go into a dungeon. I know. Like, what? You have all these options. Yeah. Why Why would you? Huh? I still don't understand. Human is like the most popular race. So sometimes you just want easy, right? So you're, you're talking about sorcerer over wizard, right? Sorcerer has less choices. Right. Like yeah. human... There's pretty much no choices on the ones. So like, this is awesome. I'm human. I know what human's supposed to be like. I can do this. Go. I can role play a human. Yeah. Do they do much role playing, Paul, or are they kind of intimidated by that? They do some role playing. Most of what they do is encounter oriented. So it's you're at the gates to a castle. What do you do? Uh, and working through things that way and go turn turn by turn around the around the table. Um, there's some role playing that goes on. Uh, it's usually goofy. Uh, in that regard, one of the kids who was playing, I think he was a dwarven bard. Anytime he ran into battle, he played bagpipe music on his iPod. <laughs> oh. That's pretty awesome. As that was the music of his people. <laughs> That's the music great. Of people. I'd love this guy. <laughs> I think Jordan's going to steal that for his next character. (laughs) That is really good. So they had a lot of fun with things that way, but they didn't do a lot of uh, like long drawn out role playing sessions in terms of that. It was mostly problem solving and combat was what they gravitated towards. Oh, great. So Jordan will probably hit you up for maybe another, a longer interview or something. uh, Because it actually sounds like you guys have some great resources that potentially you could share. Like, um, the, about creating your character and what I'm the I keep calling him your friend I, and I can't just can't his remember name his name is Peter 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 what would yeah. he the resources he was providing the kids for um, how to create their characters the stuff you were writing up on the board maybe this stuff would be helpful for other stores but and sure. also maybe you could speak to this a little bit but if there are stores that are inspired by this or or people in the community that want to help their stores and their schools form a partnership. Do you have any tips on how people could start this? Best tip anytime when you're starting stuff with kids is keep it simple. Keep Mm -hmm. it easy. Don't raise the barrier to entry. Don't try to uh, put too much in front of them all at once. Just ease them into the process and emphasize the fun that they're having over anything else about the game. And how about with the school? Any tips on how to work with schools? Get in. Get in uh, 
that can depend on the school and on the the board and where where it is in terms of the reception. Uh, Peter School has a fairly liberal principal, so that was certainly certainly helpful because you have to get principal approval in order to do something like this. Um, if a store wants to approach schools uh, about what it is that they are offering and what they would like to do, uh, then best thing to do would just be to contact the principal directly or contact a librarian uh, if they think that it would be best run through the library services and emphasize the uh, the educational aspect of Dungeons and Dragons and what they can get out of it and what the kids can learn from it more than anything. Uh, one thing I guess I should note on that is a lot of the kids that were coming out to D&D were ones who didn't go out to traditional sports teams. So they didn't have a lot of after-school activities that they could engage in at the school itself. So this offered a venue for uh, the student who didn't want to play basketball or didn't want to play volleyball to come out and be engaged and be involved. Mm -hmm. Make some friends. and yep. It's got to be really... Kill some orcs. Kill some orcs. Kill some orcs. Do a great orcs. service. Yep. <laughs> it's got to be really nice for the teachers, for the librarians, for the parents to see the, you know, the spark of imagination, some, like the interest developing in their kids like you said some the mm -hmm. parents some of them the parents came back and bought more books for the kids and I remember if I expressed an interest in parakeets when I was little my mom would buy me everything parakeet. <laughs> she wanted me to be interested yep. in something same with me nutcrackers for Christmas every uh, Christmas really <laughs> I just went into someone's house yesterday and I had a really creepy collection of nutcrackers oh good times yay at about 12 I said hey no more nutcrackers <laughs> <laughs> I know I said I liked them once but yeah that was a long was time ago <laughs> yeah. yeah however D&D &D, all the D&D &D. yes. all the D&D yes, all please. the D&D &D get not creepy at all and uh, did you say how many kids you were working with in total? That's, uh, it's about 18 right now. 18. Damn. Yeah. Okay. I guess they've just ended, actually, for the school year. So yeah. we'll start it up again in the fall. Okay. Yeah. Oh, they're going to have D&D Patrol over the summer. I know. Well, many of them already play on the run, so I'm sure they'll continue <laughs> doing that. That's awesome. And they're, uh, they know about the events that we run at the store, so they're always welcome to come out to those, too. That sounds awesome. Okay, so this your stores are Conspiracy Comics? Conspiracy Comics in Hamilton, Burlington, and Oakville, Ontario. Okay, so if you're ever in the area, stop by, say hi, buy some books, <laughs> say hi teach, to Paul. Teach some kids to play D&D. Teach D &D. some kids to play D&D. You know, D &D. Kids to play D &D. Yep. If, if you have their permission. Yes, always ask a parent's permission before you talk to their child. <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Paul. We're going to not make any more kid jokes. <laughs> thank you. Thank, it's thank not for... a joke, Trevor. Ask permission. Well, I, I said that. I, that was me. I, I, I believe it. Um, it was awesome having you, Paul, and I'm sure yeah. we'll, be, we'll be talking with you again at some point in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, and thanks thank for, for everything you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. As always, thanks for listening to the Dungeons & Dragons podcast. You can download the D&D podcast from the website dungeonsanddragons.com under the media section or subscribe directly from iTunes. <laughs>